So here's my theory. Welcome to So Here's My Theory. I'm Adam Argo. Today I'm joined by Ramesh Iyer and Adam Judd. Very quickly, go, be sure to check out my book, Story by Numbers. It's available at cinematicore.com. And you can also check out all the other stuff I present. It would help a lot if you would go into um, the Amazon store and give a review, whatever review you feel. But it would help me a lot if you would get a review for Story by Numbers. Um, I'm getting a really good reaction. And I really appreciate all the support. Um, so let's dive right into, so here's my theory. And today Ramesh is going to be presenting Ramesh. What is your theory? Okay. So here's my theory. Adam Judd and I have seen so many movies. We were starting to see patterns and wanting to sort of quantify things in a way that was a shorthand for us to discuss. So together really, and, and he may have a different version of this, but in my mind, it was what I call the swimming pool theory. Basically, that movies fit into basically two categories when you break them down. In the swimming pool analogy, you have a shallow end and you have a deep end. And let me just back up and say that we're not qualifying the type of movie. So a movie that fits, say, in a shallow end is no worse than a movie that's in the deep end. So I just want to say that outright. All right. So here's an example. So if I take two directors and specific films. These were specific films we were talking about. So a film like uh, Transformers by Michael Bay, mm -hmm. that to us fits in the shallow end of the pool. That again, it's not demeaning it. We love that film. It's a fun film, uh, but it it's not taking itself seriously. There isn't necessarily a deeper meaning. You may find a deeper meaning, but it's presented almost on a surface level and you're there to enjoy it as opposed to a director, let's say Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan in many of his films. And let's just use Oppenheimer. That's a very, uh, he takes that film very seriously. It's a very serious subject matter. It feels very serious. There isn't a lot of levity to that film. So we would say that film is resides in the deep end of the pool. All right. Now, let's use those same directors as another example where they may cross over. I would uh, go back to Christopher Nolan and use Memento, right? That's probably the one film that a lot of people agree is a really fun film on the surface, and he's saying something. So it almost crosses over, right? On the surface, it has this sort of shallow side of the pool where you really enjoy the film. It's someone who forgets you know, who they are. They have to write it. They have a short-term memory loss. They have to write everything. People are lying to them. It's really great, really intriguing. It deals with the sort of puzzles that Nolan loves, but it's also something saying something much deeper about identity and who we are and how we identify and perception. So it's diving into that deep end of the pool. Same way with Michael Bay. He did an amazing film called Pain and Gain which I personally think is one of his best films other than The Rock. And he is intentionally or unintentionally, he on the surface, you know, it's these two guys who are, who are bodybuilders, right? They're all in their head. They're all about the muscle and they decide to uh, commit murder, a couple murders, right? It's a very Coen brothers sort of film in that way, but it says something about, society about those guys about trying to find the shortcut to success uh that the um the means justify the ends and so it 
deep dives under the surface, again, whether it's intentional or not. But those are two directors who kind of reside on either side of the pool for us, but they've crossed over in one or two films. And it's not, uh, a filmmaker doesn't have to just only make self-series films or shallow films. And we're not qualifying that the films are good or bad, but I would say there's directors like um, Steven Spielberg is a great example. Mm. Something like Close Encounters, which is very entertaining, but also says something about uh, fatherhood, family, divorce, right? So it goes into the deep end, but it's it's also such an entertaining film. And I, and I think uh, my theory is that the films that can have both work in the shallow end and in the deep end are really the best films. And that's what you want to strive for. Not that you can't just do a serious film, not that you can't be a Bellatar, not that you can't just be, you know, a Michael Bay or just have fun, you know, a Die Hard, which also I think delves a little bit into the deep end. I think that's fine. But the best films that I remember that I love are the ones that sort of hit both sides. Can I ask a question? Because I'll have my side of it too, but I want to hear what yours are, which is what do you quantify as deep? Like what makes something deep? Interesting. I think one week, there's a couple levels, but one is if someone, a filmmaker takes themselves too seriously sometimes, then we, I think we would, I would throw them in the deep end mm. of the pool, right? Cause they really take it serious and it may not be serious, but they take the subject matter they uh, attack it in a very serious way. There's no levity. It's there, it's not fun. Mm. It doesn't feel fun. It's just you're sinking to the bottom. Okay. Mm. Now there's or the subject matter because the subject matter can be serious, but they can do it in a fun way. Um, and I think you know something like Dream Scenario, that's the most recent film, is it it goes in a real dream logic sort of direction, and it's really fun. I think it's a great film, but it's also a tragedy. Mm. It really dives deep um, without trying to give it away. Even the last line in the film, I'll, I'll say, you know, I can say it. He says, I wish this were all real as he's holding his wife's hand. And the whole thing plays within a dream. So it's, even though it's a tragedy and it's dealing with a serious subject matter, you know, how we see ourselves, perception, um, cancel culture, uh, it also presents it in a very fun and entertaining way. You laugh in that film a lot. And I think that's a big thing. If you can deal with a serious subject matter, but have a lot of fun and laugh at it, that's great. I would bring up Spielberg again, Schindler's List. There's no laughing in that film. That is all mm -hmm. working in the deep mm -hmm. end of the pool. Whereas I imagine like Roberto Benigni, remember when he did that film about the Holocaust as well. He was bringing levity and humor to it. Yeah, another one that I would also, because like, I would add on yeah. top of that, that there, so from, from my, I want, I'm gonna go back to the Schindler's List thing, but I just wanna say on my side, and I could be off, you can add more or say, no, that's wrong. But I, I see it as like, there's a couple, uh, a couple ways that something can be deep. There is the deep subject matter of, oh, this is important, we need to talk about this. For me, something deep is like something that the more you watch it or the more you give to it, the more you pay attention to it, the more it reveals, right? So in order for something mm -hmm. to be deep, it also has to have a, like a shallow, like what's filling in the shallow end 
also has to fill in the deep end. If you just fill in the deep end, it's actually just a shallow end in a deep part of the pool, right? It's still only three feet high. Right. It's, 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 it's wrapping itself yeah. as a deep end. Movie, so you go to the shallow end and it's two feet high, but you only, or if you fill in the, the, the deep end of the pool, only two feet enough of water, like it's still technically shallow. It's just in the deeper side. So I think that there are, so there's the way of like, oh, this is important matter that's deep, but there's the, to me, the deep that's more interesting, which is that it's deep because it, there's so many things that are, that reveal itself to you the further and further you go down into it. <clears throat> and so on the surface, it might even seem shallow. Something might seem like, oh, this is just a genre. Uh, so the movie I was going to bring up in comparison is the movie To Be or Not. I was going to say, what movie you're referring to? Uh, to in comparison one? to Schindler's List would be, or even um, Life is Beautiful, which is uh, oscillating between funny and mm -hmm. very serious, a movie that right. that seems to be fun the entire time about a very similar subject, and for me, it it has more to it because of because you'd have to dissect it more and more to get more more meaning out of it. it but it's there the more you give yourself to it. it is um, to be or not to be by Ernst Lubitsch, like seemingly mm -hmm. just a silly, goofy comedy. Uh, about World War II, about um, revolutionaries within the World War II who happen to be um, overly dramatic stage performers that take themselves way too seriously and are asked to come in and secretly uh, um, work with um, Nazi, uh, you know, trick Nazis to get a bunch of uh, um, right. resistance fighters out of occupation. And there's like crazy jokes that seem that are funny at first. And then the more you think about it, you're like, God, that's crazy is that they meet a German guy and they keep saying that the repeated line is, so they call you concentration camp Earhart or something like that. Right. Which is like a crazy line. And then the more you think about it, you're like, you realize like, Oh, that guy is thought is so awful that they've given him this terrible name, but it's used as a joke. It has this irony to it. There's also the ways it, the movie is shot and, and played around with it, it, it um, uses uh, visual ideas that are comedic and then sometimes visual ideas where it feels like noirish or, or like a right. Warner Brothers type movie of that era. And it, it's yeah. playing with all that. But on the surface, the first time you watch it, you think, oh, this is a funny, like, I think Mel Brooks even remade it because it's a very Mel Brooksy movie but yeah, but, but it has more and more layers to it um because the people working on it were at like putting so much into it and to, so to me that's a uh a deep movie even though on the on the surface it seems shallow and the fact that on the surface it seems shallow that it's giving you visceral pleasures um i think a lot of films are of the 40s mm. 30s, 40s do that a lot because it was, again, which cinema sort of changed now, but I think of Sullivan's mm -hmm. Travels, right? Sullivan's Travels is about a director who is like, you know, he does comedies, 
He's like, I'm mm-hmm. sick of comedies. I want to make a movie about mm-hmm. the people. And and again, talking about modern filmmakers, the Coen brothers are borrowing a little bit of that, not just from Oh Brother, We're Out Thou, but Barton Fink, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, Clifford mm-hmm. Odette. I want to make plays about the real man, the real yet man. won't take the time to listen and mm-hmm. discover who the mm-hmm. real man is. The same thing, Sullivan travels, mm-hmm. right? He's what makes comedies. He goes, no, I want to live amongst the people. I want to make mm-hmm. dramas. I want to make serious mm-hmm. films. And when he goes there, he's living on the road, on the trains, like the, the hobos, right? And he got, and it's the depression, depression era America. And he gets into one of those sort of like soup kitchen halfway houses and everyone's laughing. And he sees on the screen, it's been a tough time on the road. He sees on the screen, they're all laughing. Well, they're actually in a prison in that. He's in, he's in yeah, prison and they're in prison. He's with all the prisoners that are miserable. They all walk in there almost right. like, um, like downtrodden and they sit down super depressed and it's goofy on the screen. And I feel like that moment in that movie kind of expresses what we're talking about, which it almost shows that mm-hmm. something that seems shallow has depth, has that kind of meaning and depth to a person's life in a way that um, you would, oh, I'm going to make a movie about you know, the, the, uh, what it's like to be at the lower class and be in the like poverty, uh, era. And you, the movie expresses in that moment, how important, like something that seems surfacey has an effect on somebody. And I think that's what we, everyone, it feels like today people just dive into that lower class depressed feeling, whatever they don't think about entertaining Mm -hmm. first. They think about the message first. And so if we're talking about that film or, or even a Christmas in July, <laughs> right? It's a, it's a fun, co- it's a, it's again, another Preston Sturges, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a guy who's writing a jingle because he wants to get, he wants to be able to move out of his mom's house, get married. He's living in the Lower East Side in, in New York and, but they can't afford anything. Mm-hmm. It's um, they're in sort of the ethnic uh, areas of New York. Right. And there's the Italians, the mm-hmm. Irish, you know, they have um, the Jewish center, you know, it's the, the, and so he writes a jingle that he thinks he wins the contest and then he doesn't win the contest. And the whole thing is he's, with the contest, he's giving all the wealth away, right? And then at the end, he he actually did win the contest. But in that, it's saying something about us as people and how we treat others and how we view people who have less than us versus the people who have more than us. But just like Billy Wilder says, you know, if you want to send a message, you know, use uh, Western Union, so mm-hmm. send a telegram. <laughs> and I think we are so into that today. It's either the films I feel today, getting back to this, are so a shallow end or yeah. so deep end very few films cross the um rubicon of of that of 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 including and, and i don't even think it's a today thing we've it. talked about this before but um uh that 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 split kind of started in the 80s when the wrong lessons yep. were learned from Star Wars and Jaws, because I do think both of those movies have a lot of layers on them, but the, the studios thought, well, let, they don't want meaning anymore. They don't want the downbeat ending. They want the happy ending. So let's just give them more and more pleasure. And from that, there's a lot of crossover that, that they happened don't want it. They never during that time it. period, especially once the, they, they, then the 90s came and it kind of right. had that too. But that real break started in the 80s where it was, you have the, the, um, 
popcorn movies, and then you have the the like re response, the reaction to that that thinks, oh, I have to do the opposite of that right. in order to to um, show that I'm not with it. Whereas before, even in the '70s, with the downbeat endings, they were still extremely entertaining. Even a movie like Taxi Driver, that's that's um, as much as it's about a very messed up person, it has an odd, dark humor through a lot of it. Whether it's when he takes Sybil Shepherd out on the date and right. he takes her for a porno, <laughs> like in any, like that concept alone is a darkly funny idea that a person is so socially awkward that his, and he's right. so disconnected from the world that when he finally finds somebody he's interested in, he's going to take them to a porno. Like, that's a funny idea. It's executed in a way that adds more to it and is aware of how dark that, what that is, what that conveys. But it's very, it's a funny, weird idea. And the movies weren't, and even when it gets to the end and it's that big, uh, what it builds to is, it's very violent and what it's saying is very dark and, and depressing. But what, what it, what it is on the surface is a big action shootout throughout a, uh, um, sex ring, you know, and uh, but I don't think the studios wanted a, a happy ending. I think that they never deconstructed, like today, what actually works, like mm -hmm. a remake. They never deconstruct what was it, which we talked about cinematic, right? The moment it was mm -hmm. made in, and the and the reaction, and that sort of uh, connection with the audience. They're only thinking of a surface level. Talk about mm -hmm. shallow. They're only thinking of a surface level. If I have these pieces and this sort of chess pieces arranged this way, it will work. Because again, like you said, you mentioned Jaws and Star Wars. I mean, Jaws is a perfect example where it's someone who's coming to this island, right? And he's trying to do right. And they're the best scene in that, which doesn't really happen a lot in modern mm -hmm. films, is He's sad and upset at the dinner table. It's Roy Scheider, mm -hmm. right? And his son is mimic mimicking his motions, mm -hmm. his movement, right? So he's like this mm -hmm. and his little son on the side is going like this, right? And then he goes like this, Roy Scheider goes like this and the son goes like mm -hmm. this too. It's right there. It's the most precious, amazing, beautiful moment where there's a connection reminding him, we love you. Everything else can go to hell in this movie, you know, in the world, but we love you and we stand behind you and we believe you. In the moment when he's trying to close the beaches during, uh, I think it's 4th of July, but they refuse mm -hmm. to do it. His son is there with him to mm -hmm. support him. And I think that beautiful moment, that is a dramatic moment that you don't see in films. If it were made today or made as a sequel, it's just about the shark. It's yep. Meg, right? It's just about yep. the shark. And you're going to put a eaten. joke there they'll instead of a, a sincere moment. And the they'll put a joke or they'll put a daughter, a, a father, son, a daughter, father moment or whatever mm -hmm. that is uh, that feels so forced. Uh, and so it will be someone who's a rebellious teen and they don't see eye to eye. And then in the tragedy, they'll see mm -hmm. eye to eye. And it just feels so uh, manipulated and manicured as a as a as something that they had to do it doesn't feel organic and natural and it doesn't feel mm -hmm. authentic and i think let me jump in uh the uh no that with the with the pool idea is it just about like this is where they don't take it seriously and this is where they do take it seriously or is yeah. it about like having more layers to your intention or or it is, is it like for example where, where, the movie room where would that land in your pool 
like Tommy Wiseau's room. Oh, the room. I, I oh, actually room. think it's a oh, room. I was thinking the uh, other room. No, the room. Uh, the room. I think uh, is one. I think the room in Troll Two on a camp level, and I want to do an episode about this sometime. But uh, I do think that they're accidentally filling a whole layer of of a pool. Um, whether I, it is an accident, like we know, but I don't think it's important whether something's on accident or not. But I do think it's something that if you bring yeah, yourself yeah. to the thing and you go decide to dive into the pool yourself as a viewer, you're going to be okay diving into it. It's not. Uh, yeah. Tom, Tom, Tommy Wiseau is about, it's that relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Between those two guys. And I think it's un, whether it's intentional or unintentional, like we said earlier, pain and gain, it, that doesn't matter. Yeah. And I do think, I, think, I do think pain yeah, and gain is intentional. Gain. I, I, I think that there, but uh, that's a whole other thing. But, I think it's, I think it's totally unintentional. Let's I talk about intentional. He, what, what does intentionality have to do with that? Yeah, I think it's intentional that he's making the film, but I would, I would argue that uh, where it goes in another subtextual level is not where he's. Well, that's what I'm meaning by I don't think it's important whether it's intentional. Wait, hold on. What do you mean by that? What, what, where is he going and why, why is he? Why is it not achieving what I think? I, I think what's on the script and how those two guys are, they're using a means to an end, but it says so much more there. It's so enjoyable. And at the same time, it says so much more about those characters and the way those characters are built. I sometimes think it's who are um, occupying those characters. The, the actors that are occupying it brings so much more than what I think that script had at the beginning. But I, th but I think that mm -hmm. what makes it intentionally deep is I think there's an instinctive intentionality where it's, um, you know, there's a lot of writers, whether it's Paul Thomas Anderson or even Kubrick has mentioned not chasing themes that they, they have an instinct that has, that is aware that like, this is going to, by me tackling this subject, there is a depth that's going to come from this. And there's a reason that he made a movie about steroid uh, bodybuilders that kidnap a rich guy, as opposed to, you know, the Coen brothers making a movie about people in, uh, in Fargo, you know, committing a crime that are just working at a car dealership. I think he's aware that like his style is going to reveal a lot more, even if it's instinctual and it's not conscious there, what drew him to that is that he could bring out more about, he could express more about them just by the harmony of his style of this very roided out surface style mm -hmm. will bring out more of the intentions of the characters and more of the, um, what they want out of what they want out of their dream and how messed up that is what they want is is expressed perfectly by his style and i think him being drawn to that as a subject that story and knowing that like oh i can't make a movie about middle you know people in the middle of uh uh texas let's say working at a at a bar i don't have i don't have that what i can do is make a, a story about people in florida that are obsessed with the way they look and obsessed with having a lot of money and don't think past that getting caught up in a crime. And, and I, I would argue that all the, if you read all the stuff before that, he would always say, I have, I, I can do a Fargo. I have, you know, I could like, he always wanted to do mm -hmm. comedies and he is a huge fan of Coen brothers. Cause he would always mm -hmm. reference Fargo and say, you know, I've got my Fargo I, mm -hmm. in me. I can do a Fargo. 
And this was his Fargo. And it's proven because you have so many Cohen uh, repertoire characters in Pain and Gain, other than the main two, who are the kind of the jarhead meathead guys that he is front loading it and saying, this is my Fargo. I want to try to do it. But I think the way you're talking about it subtextually, I, that sounds like. Well, what you're saying is this is his Fargo. And what I'm saying is this is his Fargo. The emphasis on each of those, you're, by you saying this is his Fargo, you're saying that he thought he could make Fargo and that he didn't quite do it. What I'm saying is this is not his this Fargo. Movie. He, could, just saying- he saw that he can't, his style can't quite make exactly Fargo. He's not going to make, you know, there's a lot of Fargo attempted stories, whether, or even Coen Brothers attempted stories. I don't think he was trying to make Fargo. What I'm saying is, Every one of his films, if you notice the Transformers films, he keeps putting there's there's uh, John Chichuro, and then mm-hmm. in the next Transformer, there's Francis McDormand shows up, and then you'll have maybe John Malkovich, you know, after Burn After Re- or or Tony Shalhoub shows. So he has been trying to, I think, uh, you know, mine that, and this came. It I feel like it's the perfect storm where it was the right script with all those characters coming in. You're saying it's this intentional strategic plan. I'm not. I'm saying it's an instinctual. I'm saying it's instinctual. Instinctive. It's it's um a, a similar thing would be like a lot of times when I back in the day when he was hated. Now he's come. People have come around to him. Is uh, I used to talk about what Brian De Palma was doing in his movies. That there's a lot going on in there, and they would say, "Do you think he was yeah. doing that on purpose?" And the answer is yes, because most artists. Don't go, yeah. I'm crafting out this perfect layered thing. There, there, there are artists that do that, but there are artists that are also like, they, they work through, this is what I feel is the right thing. And when it, when, when it works, this is again, going back to the pool, when they, when they focus on the story and trust in what their voice is, they, they bring the extra layers in there, that two plus two equals five element to it from from their voice from what they have to offer and that could be a director but that can also be a cinematographer or an actor and all that stuff you're giving credit to the writers and the actors i'm saying his layer of what he brings as a filmmaker as a director is what makes that movie right uh have that extra layer of depth to it that without him it would just I be agree. A i'm not discounting movie. that i'm not i'm not discounting that but i would not put necessarily him in the same category is Brian De Palma, who will be laying it out, I think, very strategically, very, uh, he's very intentional. Michael Bay, I'm not saying he doesn't have intention. What I'm saying is there's, there's a stylistic quality that Michael Bay has. I think those two became the perfect storm for this film. I think of the shot where they, the doors open and they come out in slow motion. And I, with Michael Bay, I know he's got multiple cameras. A lot of it is can be found mm-hmm. in the edit. He is shoot, 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 shoot. Mm-hmm. He's coming from the music video commercial it's, it world, comes from that, obviously. And that, it's the same thing with like... Well, he is very composed. I, I he is very he, composed. He, he, does, he, like, he does storyboard and he does like plan out his shots right. in such a way that he is like setting up the whole career. Oh, he'll he knows pick up what the camera and shoot it himself. He'll yeah. pick up the camera and shoot it yeah. himself. He has a great eye. I, I think he does... Uh, action scenes like nobody else. I think, yeah. you know, Nolan wants to be the action director that, that uh, Michael Bay is 
and he he can't. I think Michael Bay does you know great action scenes, yeah. and Michael Bay is obviously pulling from Tony Scott, Michael Mann. You mm. can see Luc Besson; those are his influences. But what I'm saying is, in this particular and the movie, Coen Brothers, there's a really great video essay on uh, yeah. on um, Michael Bay on the on the internet. I think it's this guy Patrick Willems, and he does this deep dive into mm. Michael Bay and. One of the things that's interesting is that he talks about how basically Michael Bay, took, uh, to Michael Bay took what David Fincher was doing in his music videos and made it a, a uh, uh, made it into feature films. When the David Fincher music video director and the David Fincher feature film director are totally different styles. They but, are. And, and it's interesting because he had David Fincher's crew when he in propaganda was using the um, when he when. David Fincher went to Alien mm-hmm. 3. He used a lot of David Fincher's crew, uh, like uh, like Schwartzman, the DP, to then shoot those music mm-hmm. videos, who had also been working with mm-hmm. David Fincher, but even though they were friends mm-hmm. even before then. Uh, Michael I want to jump back into the pool, this idea of of layers and depth. So like depth is de- determined that there's, you know, there's a surface level and then other layers that are composed or constructed beneath it. What is the first layer? What composes a surface layer versus like the layers that go below it? I, I have a thought on that. My, my, and then, or Ramesh, you go first because this is your pitch. No, go ahead. Go ahead. My, my thought is the first layer is, you know, it's the narrative and the story, but I think on top of that, it's the thing that, um, it's the, it's the sense, it's the overwhelming of your senses. Like when we were talking about, um, Ernst Lubitsch, it's a comedy. It's a comedy on the surface. It's making you laugh. It's making you amused. Uh, it's causing your, it's doing something to your senses in a horror movie. It's going to, you know, cause you to go to the edge of your seat or cover your eyes. It, it, and, and this is a response to that. But I think the, the surface level is it's drawing you in, whether through spectacle or um, through, through uh, playing with your, your senses and emotions and all of this, uh, other stuff on the surface. And then, yeah, that was, that's what I would say would be the surface. I, I would say, right. But I would say it's visuals, right? It's a visual storytelling mm-hmm. first, whether that be, even if it's a, even if it's a deep end, mm-hmm. even, or a shallow end, it's always, a, I think a visual sense, it's creating mm-hmm. a tone, right? Regardless of how that tone is. And then I think it's, and I think story, um, is part of it, but I really think it's funny. We're talking about intentional and not intentional. There are things that come together. I truly believe as a filmmaker that you can plan for the best visual. You can plan to create this tone. All these things come together and two things come together and create a mm-hmm. third thing. Three yeah. things come together and create mm-hmm. a fourth thing. That is whether you intended or not, just like pain and gain, there is a tone and a feeling that is as much as it's a Michael Bay film, it also almost uh, rises above a Michael Bay film. And that's what I think I love about that film. It's everything I love about Michael Bay mm-hmm. plus. Yeah. And I and I know you're arguing that it's all intended. I say there is an unintended consequence to all the intentions that I are agree. going on. Like with um sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I think so with yeah. with the room, for example, Tommy Wise Tommy Wise's the room is a uh on the surface, it's a story about a, a guy who's uh, betrayed by his wife, you know, and 
it, it, it comes off as silly and melodrama, but the subtext of it is ultimately about this man who feels very alienated. He doesn't feel like he's at home in this world and he desperately wants to feel loved and connected by friends and family. And he doesn't have that. And this melodrama is kind of a cry for help in a way. It's hilarious. It's funny. And I don't believe he intended to convey that about himself. Well, I, and to I, me, that's I think, what's brilliant about it. And that's where the depth comes from is that it drama. accidentally emerges right. from this, uh, from this desire to, to, to say something dramatic, you know, like it's almost like he's showing off to somebody that knew him when he was younger. And he's saying, you see all these people who love me so much, it'll hurt them if I leave. And that, that's about powerful subtext. And I don't think any of that was, I don't think he's aware that he's revealing that mm -hmm. about himself. Can I jump off that and yeah, say, it's kind of what we said last time about the action reaction cinematic, right? He's being so authentic himself to mm. us. That authenticity is actually a little cringe, a little funny. And, and there's something beautiful at the same time, but because of our reaction to it, we find it endearing and charming, yeah. Yeah. which then yeah. adds another layer to the story and we get something from it. And I would say to Adam's point, then on those, it's not when you see it the first time and it's not when you see it alone. It's the best viewing of that, like the cinematic um, explanation. It's in a theater or wherever with a group of friends and you may have seen it a you may have been the one who saw it five times and you're now introducing other friends. The pleasure of that film is I've seen this film. Some of my friends have seen it. We may all be seeing it for the fifth time, or I may be introducing it to someone new in the group who sees it. And we all share that. And there's, well, that's kind of, that that's a whole new that. route within what you're saying, which is just like in a pool, if you, if you go into a pool not knowing how deep it is alone, you're only going to get some idea of it. But if you go in there with a crowd of people, you're going to see some people diving down and coming back up. It's the same thing when you go uh, to a, a film with a giant like crowd is you will you will start picking, oh, I didn't notice that. Even if it was your first time seeing it, you're going to see people laughing at things with that movie or with other people. You might see people like, um, leaning forward at a scene or whispering over to their friend at a scene, the crowd itself starts revealing the depths of the movie while, when you're with them. A really great example of that is a friend of mine told me when he was young, he saw Fargo by himself and had no idea it was funny. He saw it and just thought it was a basic crime movie with quirky, mm -hmm. odd people. And then he saw it with a group of friends and saw them, I think one of which was his brother, and they and they were busting up laughing through all of it, right? And he started to realize, oh, there's a lot of humor in here, which then on your own, within your own viewing, causes that those ambiguities that we're talking about before, where now you're seeing, you're starting to see clues of the movie they're seeing, but now you're you're adding your own you're trying to figure, okay, what is it they're seeing? And, oh, I see that it's this. Uh, in terms of a joke, uh, no, I'll skip that. But uh, I was going to say, on, just jumping on what you're saying, you know, there's a great film by Jacques Tati, Playtime. Mm -hmm. And in all his films up to that, it deals with the old Paris. But as you see his films, Mon Uncle, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, the, the 
the day of the festival, you know, uh, Jour de Fete, I'm saying this wrong, and uh, I forgot the other one I'm, I'm blanking on. You see old Paris and it's starting to dwindle away, right? It's diminishing a little bit, um, which is intentional. And then when you get to playtime, we're basically in this modern Paris it's like the La Défense, I think, section of Paris, or it's he built that, but I'm I'm just using that as an analogy where Paris is becoming this modern technological glass. You know, it's like New York. He's built this thing, and you and it's all these jokes happen, all these visual jokes, right? All these Buster Keaton like jokes happen. There's no dialogue. There's just sound effects, and he intentionally at the very end of this film, uh, where all this mishap and he's making fun of modern technology he opens a glass door and in the glass door's reflection you see the eiffel tower mm -hmm. and even jacques tati said that was me showing that is the only remaining piece i feel of the mm -hmm. old paris mm -hmm. right of the paris that we know the charming old world version and you see it and it and you see it for a second it just lasts i don't think he even closes the door it just is there and i think there, he says something so beautiful. This is on the surface, just a visual mm -hmm. comedy, right? But he's saying something in one visual thing. It's not, I don't even know if it's such a deep dive, but if you get it, for you, it becomes mm -hmm. the deep dive. For everyone else, it could just be surface. I want to go back to the, so the I want to, uh, real quick, okay. I want to go back to the surface thing because I want to dive, I want to say something I wasn't able to, that I wanted to say. Because uh, Ramesh talked about with Jaws that most, modern entertaining films wouldn't have that moment with the family. I also, in order to get at what's on the surface, I think most films that are about very serious subjects, um, just to go back to taxi driver, they wouldn't take go back to taxi to driver the, the, they wouldn't have, they would, mm -hmm. they wouldn't want when, when I was talking about like only filling out the, the deep end of the pool is still shallow. When a film does that, it is a it fills in that deep end and is afraid to have that visceral moment at the end of Taxi Driver. They would say, "No, that's too that's going too far." But that is the surface. That is the hook. That is right. the thing that you leave the theater that starts the conversation. That then leads to the the deeper things when you're talking with friends about the movie. But it starts with that visceral moment that caused shock and awe in the audience. And I think a lot of just as the the shallow end of the thing of modern times that we're talking about, they split they split apart. Just as the popcorn movies may be afraid to have that like family moment, I think that the the art house film or the you know drama or or something about a serious idea it would be absolutely terrified to have a moment like the climax of Taxi Driver because they think that that surface is to um is 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 to that the visceral element of that visceral element of that, that surface is too cheap and i think right. the cheapness is the shallow right. part of it but of in order to be deep you have to have right. that shallow element as well to go through i agree they would feel that that moment would cheapen their serious thing it's like um uh, killers of the flower moon which I feel like has some moments of that could be could have mined even more with with the FBI agent. But um, I'm thinking of even a slasher film, a typical slasher film. And then you look at something which would not necessarily have those moments, uh, a, a deep moment in it or a moment of re reflectivity. Whereas I think of Dress mm -hmm. to Kill. 
dressed yeah. to kill. This first, you have this moment of this woman's fantasy at the beginning, which is great. But after she is killed, right, her son is in the police station. And there's a moment where he reflects and hears it. He's hearing the worst things about his mom, what happened, but he's also reflecting on how he mm. can try and solve the mm. mystery. And I think in a modern slasher film, so it's not just deep art films, but even in the slasher films, they would not take the mm. time or go to that place. Um, obviously for De Palma, it's, he's reflecting on himself. It's a little autobiographical. But in this case, I feel like that adds to the richness, richness of it. There's, there's mm -hmm. depth to something that many people would just see as this slasher film about someone who identifies as a woman and they're killing other people. It goes and, and he plays with gender a lot mm -hmm. in that too. But I feel like he's doing it at a level that is. I think a person, a filmmaker, a very famous it? filmmaker for kind of having those hot, Hot, like the surface being a genre or and not being afraid to be the genre is uh, Stanley Kubrick, a movie like Full Metal Jacket about the military and criticizing the military. Most f movies that would be about that would not have the climax that movie has, which is a, a sniper trying to survive a, uh, being a, a, a sniper. Right. And 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 uh, the kind of action elements that would be in that movie or. Uh, a very famous, uh, the, one of the most famous movies in the world that has that, I think, is The Godfather, right? On the surface is a crime movie. And it's not afraid to have this, you know, to have uh, Sonny shot up or or um, to have in, in part two that when um, De Niro's character chases down the guy and wraps his hand, the, the gun in his hand and then shoots him and having the violence that's in that uh it's such a visceral like moment, but most movies now that would try to cover crime in in a family might might back away from that, or even if they just wanted to talk about it. I, I would jump. What's I would jump back real quickly, and you said Full Metal Jacket. Now, to me, Full Metal Jacket, all right, is two yeah. movies, right? You have the, the the first movie, which feels like a more surface. It's not, but it, it's a fun, you know. That's that one movie, two stories, yeah. Yeah, one movie, two stories. Right, and exactly. And that first part, it's great because the first part feels like a shallow end of the pool where it's you're getting in the surface, you're getting to know these people, and he's actually playing, I think, on that sort of experience. If you go in, boot camp, you don't know anyone, it's a surface experience, you get yelled at, you're reacting to the yelling, you're understanding what the gun does, all that basic training, and then it becomes this other part, and it goes in and out, Right. But I would say uh, uh, the deep end when they're in Vietnam, I would say a better film that covers. So that's a great example of a film that kind of has both ends, but is separating it. And then his, another film that's even better that plays with both ends of the pool is Dr. Yes. Strangelove. Right. So on the surface, you're having all these generals in the, you know, no fighting in the war room. They're all in there. It's visually also amazing. Um, you know, in Floridization, we're having all these like discussions and this fun time. And I, I remember, I think in that movie, I could be wrong, but I believe there was either a shot scene or, or a scene mentioned about a pie fight that they cut out. Yes, there is. Right? That was supposed to have it. it was be, yeah, they shot it too. Yeah, yeah. At, at the end. So the, so, and then what you have at the very end of that film is, um, is, uh, is, uh, 
you know, a character who's riding, uh, it's Slim Pickens, right? He's riding the bomb to the very end. And, and then the music, and then we see the explosion, the music, you know, we'll meet again, mm-hmm. you know, don't know where, don't know when. Uh, I think that to me is one of the best examples of a film that covers mm-hmm. the deep end, the, the shallow end mm-hmm. and the deep end of what yeah. we're talking about. And a film that I think that I would have loved to see, be able to see, the last thing I'll say is Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis mm. has a film about a clown before Benigni's yeah. Life is Beautiful, which you probably took the idea about a clown who who makes kids laugh in a concentration mm. camp, right? Mm. So that is I I forgot the mm. name of it, the the day the clown died or something or the that clown cried or whatever it's called. But that film, I would have loved to seen that film because I think, again, that film would have been a film that would have been covered both the shallow end and the deep end of the pool and would have been beautiful to see, especially with Jerry. Oh, look, I, 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 I do want to say before we go, go or finish or get to the last part is a lot of what we're covering are things where, where whether it's the uh, Cold War or the Holocaust or Vietnam, where the the subject is still something that's what we would call deep, but it's handled in a way that where the surface is something that engages you. But I also think there's movies that when you look at the surface, you think, oh, this is just fun. But the, the more you engage with it, the more you realize, oh, th- there's more to this. You mentioned Dress to Kill, but I actually think an even deeper movie would be Carrie which on the surface just seems like a fun horror movie. That's all. But the further you go into it, the more you realize it's almost prophetic how how much it's expressing um, things like Columbine that would happen later, where, where, where um, the isolation of a character would eventually erupt into violence. And the, the, the feeling um, hated by everyone you know, the feeling of, of that, that, the feeling that this, this thing in you that makes you special is, is actually this thing in you you should be afraid of and horrified by where your view of the world is so uh, so fucked up that you eventually will m- mistake a prank as the final straw and just lose it. I mean, there are times when I watch that movie where I almost feel like I'm going to cry at that moment because it gives me so much chills. But the first few times I saw it, I just thought, oh, that was a fun horror movie. But the, because it plays during Halloween. He doesn't signpost it like Dress to Kill. He signposts yes. those moments. Uh, uh, pulls them out. Whereas Carrie, I agree with you. Carrie's a great example because Carrie plays like a mm-hmm. horror movie, you know, someone with powers who's, it's a, like a revenge, you know, they, they've, they've, t- they're bullying her and it's revenge. And I agree. There's so much below the surface that you don't see necessarily the first time. And I think it goes to your point of the repeated mm-hmm. viewings on the repeated viewings. You get more and more. Out I think repeated it. viewings. One of my favorite ele- things about going to a movie is talking about it with someone you saw it with afterwards. It's one of my f- favorite things to do. And then you start to realize you'll find out in those conversations. If it ends in a few seconds, you realize, Oh, there that, that's all there was to it. But the, the more, if you realize, Oh no, I'm uh, as we're talking, I'm starting to realize there's way more to this movie than uh, just it being fun or it being scary. Or it being- 
My favorite thing after a movie is yeah. pie, <laughs> coffee, maybe some chili cheese fries yeah. at Bob's, and yeah. then we talk about it. Yeah. But uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about. Uh, sorry, did you finish your? Yeah, that's all. I just point? wanted to make sure that we're not we're not okay. confusing the idea of it being oh, it's just about a serious subject but treated fun, but that it can be a lot of different things. Yeah, I mean, even holdovers. I think if we're talking a modern mm-hmm. movie that does that, obviously it, it, it owes a lot to mm-hmm. Hal Ashby, mm-hmm. right? Uh, last detail. Or I'm thinking of mm-hmm. being there, um, mm-hmm. uh, Harold and Maude, or, or any of that. But I would say one where it's a last detail is great because last detail is about someone's gone AWOL. They have to bring the, the sailor back, right, to, to the brig and they're going to have one last hurrah. And you know, it can, like you said, like taxi driver, it can be, uh, it can be another, it can be a domestic sort of drama. It can be mm-hmm. a character piece that is talking about Vietnam or something, but not, it doesn't have to be they're at war and there's this fun time and a serious time. It can just be yeah. like holdovers, right? It's the kids left at the school with his professor the woman who cooks the food and those characters, there's something that happens with it. Mm-hmm. It's fun, but um, I think dead poet mm-hmm. society, you know, is another. And I think that right? uh, with it's modern sad. movies, I think the people who, uh, who the, the place that consistently does what we're talking about is South Korea. I think Korean films, something, whether it's parasite or uh, old boy or, um, or uh, have, have you get, have you seen, um, I think it's called chaser. Uh, where mm-hmm. it's a cop who's become a pimp. His his uh, one of his one of the one of his sex workers is missing. Turns out she's been kidnapped by a uh, a uh, serial killer, and he's having to go through his old like tried. He has to find her by a certain period. It's just a typical thriller, but but it reveals a lot of stuff about how people, the desperation of choices that led people to be in those situations. There's a lot of depth to that, to it in that way. I think, I think it's probably on Soto. I, I on the surface, it is a, Right. I think Japanese, Japanese do it really well, too. I, I think, think the, God, the new Godzilla. Yeah, absolutely Sion, Sono, uh, why, why, uh, you know, why don't you play in hell? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, my, probably my favorite. So I want to talk a little bit about the idea of uh, theories and, or uh, layers and depth. Um, like, uh, like I want to kind of define that a little bit more specific, or at least the way I work with it, mm-hmm. especially for like writers and story development artists that are watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this comes into like, you know, what, what are those layers composed of? And so for me, like, you know, I, I studied uh, classical interpretation or exegesis uh, and exegesis is a kind of uh, a literary interpretation of a text. <laughs> right. And uh, it, it's composed of four different layers. And the layer, like the first layer is the deed or the action, the word. Mm-hmm. The next layer is the allegory, which teaches what you believe. And then the, the fourth layer is uh, the moral without which you should do. And then the final layer is the anagogue, that which we strive for. And those are four modes that are exist uh, interpreting the la- like the deed is just the surface layer, which is what happens in the story. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the the other layers that exist below it are existing simultaneously. 
And it's, it's what you bring to the interpretation of a text. Or in, in this case, Are you interpretation saying this is intentional by the author or is this interpretive by question. the viewer? So that's a great question. That To me, that is the most important question. Well, I don't know if it's the most important question. And, and I, I'm a big believer that it doesn't matter. The, the role of the artist is to dream the dream. And then as mm-hmm. soon as they present it to the audience, then they are going to interpret it and digest it. Now, at the at the surface layer, the, the interesting thing is people regard this as just the surface layer. And I believe the surface layer is the most difficult thing to do, which is to entertain. And entertainment is, like you said, it is the imagery, it's the sounds, it is all the, the game, the tricks, the, the techniques you're using to engage the audience, to project themselves into the world and immerse themselves. So that first layer is what I would describe as the cinematic layer. If you are engaging your audience and getting them to invest in what's going to happen, they're emotionally connecting to the metaphors that you're presenting, the deeds, the action. And that, that is the most difficult layer. So you look at someone like Bay, Michael Bay, and he is, he resonates with the audience. He gets them to, and by resonate, I mean, he is very good at, at using spectacle to draw people in and get them mm-hmm. to believe in something that's totally absurd. Giant robots running around fighting dinosaurs. And yet you look at the audience scores and they're like, that meant something to them because they invested in it. They felt it. They rode the whole roller coaster. And then all the other interpretive layers that we want to take away from it, the allegories, the metaphors, the historical uh, connections, uh, those are kind of intellectualizations. Mm-hmm. And the surface layers are the emotional investment that we feel. So when we're writing, most of the time, I don't care if a writer or a director is aware of the metaphors. I care if they are able to draw me in and use that surface layer of entertainment to get me to emotionally invest in what they're doing. And that is what is cinematic. It's that that the first layer is the cinematic. In books, I would call it the literary. It's using words to get people to immerse themselves. Uh, poetics is using uh, words in a very specific way to evoke a, an, an emotional internalization. And it's, it's, it's just how you use the medium to engage that, uh, those, those different layers. You activate those different layers. Now I could take, I, you could apply exegesis yeah. to, uh, well, we did, we, we could take exegesis and apply it to the room. Say this is a metaphor about say, for example, an immigrant who wants to hide that he's, mm-hmm. Uh, immigrated from another country and the alienation that he experienced. That's an allegorical layer. Does it have anything to do with what Tommy Wiseau wanted to convey and imitating uh, James Dean? I, I doubt it. I doubt any of that's intentional or conscious, but to me, that's what the pool it really is about. And that first layer, even though it's regarded, it's almost regarded with contempt by a lot of critics. Mm-hmm. Well, they just say they're only thinking about whether it's entertaining mm-hmm. And entertainment is the most of important art form that we have. Most of our story, most of our techniques and discussions about uh, good storytelling are, are engaging that first layer. What does it, what, how do you present this so that I care about what you're saying? And to me, that's where the pool really becomes interesting. Well, that's what I was trying to say about like, uh, what, what are your if you on? just fill up that, that the deep end, it's still, it's still too sh- it's still too, it's still shallow, you know, yeah. what I mean? but it's a different kind of shallow. It's just the shallow I agree. that you have to work your way to get to instead of it just being there to land. 
And I, yeah, we're not, I do we're think not that we're experiencing qualified. that with the current, like um, with a lot of like what we're having with movies that are not resonating mm-hmm. is because like you said, they're only worried about the message. The message is the anagogical layer. Mm-hmm. The message is that which we should strive for. And if all you're doing is saying, this is what you should do, we call so you know, soapboxing. You're, you're standing on a soapbox and saying, you should change the way you think. And that doesn't resonate. It resonates should, when you engage the first layer, the surface layer, and get us to cinematically clarify. invest. And then it's not until you get them to emotionally and cinematically invest that the, that the anagogical and the allegorical layers resonate as meaningful. And that's when it comes into smuggling. I think we need to clarify, though, because when we start talking layer uh, messages, mm-hmm. we assume it's one message versus the other. I'm saying any yeah, message. Exactly. It doesn't exactly. matter what message. message. It's like red shoes are any in message. today, and we should all be wearing red shoes, yep. you know, maybe the ruby yeah. slipper kind. Yeah. It, that should not be important. That should be I'm not saying it shouldn't be important. I'm saying that you like the job of the artist is mostly to concern themselves with that surface layer, which is the emotional engagement. Right. We don't give enough credit as Adam Judd said to who can do the surface. Well, like a Michael Bay does it well. Uh, And it should be how it makes us feel. And does it make us want to repeat viewing? I think that's another thing. And a great example, Mm. I would say that does, Two directors, there's a bunch of them that do it so well. Surface and then also say something would be the Coen brothers. Equally in dialogue, character, visuals, they are having a good time. They don't care if anyone else isn't having a good time as long as they're having a good time. And whatever you get out of it, that's fine. And if you didn't get anything out of it, that's fine with them too. So long as you had a good time. And the other one I would say is Quentin Tarantino. Again, on the surface level, he's creating a world. He's bringing in an emotion, a feeling, a tone. He's all about tone, like David Lynch, all about tone. And if you get it, that's great. You know, you get you get more out of it. That's wonderful. Otherwise, it's a great time just to mm-hmm. hang out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And a lot of times when you think you, the power of it, when it's, when it, when it's, when it, when you're coming at it that way is, the 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 meaning is even if you think you're oh all I got out of it was that I had a good time. There's some part of you deep down that is affected by the meaning that was in there, even if you were completely unaware of it. Um, in fact, especially if you're completely unaware of it, it'll it'll affect some deeper exactly. part of you. And maybe it's not until the twentieth time watching it that you're like, oh my god, I didn't realize this movie like had this profound effect on me. I just thought I was watching a stupid comedy or whatever it is. Right. And yeah. It's funny you put that because true romance for me had a profound effect on me. And I wonder if it wouldn't, if Tarantino had directed his script versus Tony Scott, Mm -hmm. the fact that Tony Scott directs it the way he does, he's a, I think one of the greatest visualists ever. I actually am as big a fan, if not bigger than even Ridley Scott, but Tony Scott directing that particular material Mm -hmm. with Tarantino's script to me works on so many levels, but number one is Mm -hmm. visually and how it draws me into Mm -hmm. that world. I want to be in that world. I want to hang out. Those characters are great. I mean, I want to go on that. In the last last episode, when we were talking about cinematics, Ramesh, you were talking about uh, how the the greatest films work on the subconscious. 
And it's the, the allegorical layer, the metaphorical layer, the moral layer that is completely on the unconscious. Consciously, we're sitting there trying to look at power dynamics and how these characters interact with each other. But it, it's, it affects us in our internal uh, moral values, the, the narratives that map up what we care about. That's what resonates with us. And if you, if an, on a, the best way to ruin a film is for the artist to become aware of that layer and then start to right. cater it. And then the allegory commandeers the narrative. And when that happens, usually that's when you come up with a disengagement. Your, your audience starts to saying, I guess they're trying to say something, but I don't really care because I lost connection to the characters. Yeah, when, right. And there's a lot of directors today who deep try to do that deep dive yeah. quickly right yeah. away and haven't even built up the visual side of it. Yeah, exactly. I would say it's beautiful. Like a Michael Bay who does is working on that surface level and is creating these great visuals, action scenes like nobody else. And then hits that moment like pain and gain where there is for me that deep dive. And yeah. the director, I would say that that is in the, almost an epitome of this who made sort of these goofy action, fun sort of comedy. It's, it's, it's very much a, you know, you have, it's a certain taste level is Luke Besson. You know, uh, I think of subway, big blue, very almost surface films, sometimes awkward uh, dialogue, but really great films when he does La Femme Nikita, which I think I saw at a certain time in my life. That film to me was like the film to beat all films mm. because it's about a woman, not only an assassin who then has to find a redemption path. Uh, she also is finding her own voice, right? She is someone who men are manipulating from the beginning when she gets in trouble to when she becomes an assassin. There's a person who manipulates her to then when she finds true love. And even when she's found true love, she realized she can never be free until she is truly independent and alone. And to me that the end of that movie is heartbreaking. Every time I see it, both the music on a visual level and then what they're saying underneath from a, on a character level. Yeah. And that's a director who works primarily on the surface, even though he mm -hmm. writes his own films, right? He's coming at it from a surface level, but in that film, he's diving deep. And I think he knew that. And because he knew that, he was able to mine the professional. And you wouldn't have the professional or Leon, as we call it, if you didn't have Nikita mm -hmm. before that. Yeah. Um, I, I want to wrap this up, but um, the, the thing I really want to ad advocate for is that what people are calling the surface level is actually the most difficult level to do well. Mm -hmm. Like it's easy to talk about metaphor. It's easy to point at people and say, you should feel this way about this moral mm -hmm. value. It's very it's easy difficult. To yes. It's very, very difficult to emotionally engage the audience mm -hmm. and draw them into the pool. And right. a lot of, films, a lot of art house films are only interested in the abstraction. Mostly they're experimenting with the form, which I love. We need experimentation mm -hmm. with the form, but this idea of like when people say, well, it's just surface level. I think that's discounting how important that first level is because that is the introduction. That is a threshold to every other aspect of the film Yeah, actually, and films that. Like, oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Uh, when Ramesh and I have talked about this before, I've said that there are films where they throw gasoline on the surface, light it on fire and say, dive through there. It's deep underneath <laughs> where, where, why, yeah. why would yeah. I want it? Why That's would I want to go into that? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And just yeah. to just to go with your point, 
Yeah, it's like um, uh, like you know, the Stalker, the movie Stalker. A lot of Tarkovsky movies they're they're challenging to get through, and the reason why they're challenging is is because you know it, it's worth it. It's it's meaningful, but he is saying like, look, this is not gonna. He, it's going to be very difficult to wade through this surface level. Mm -hmm. But once you dive in the deep end, there's all sorts of beauty and stuff to bring out of it. Right. But it does challenge you. He lives in the deep end. And I would say not only is it difficult, we discount. That's why people discount Michael Bay because they think it's only surface. They don't realize how hard it is. And I think the biggest crime in cinema is how much we discount comedies. Yes. How or any different absolutely comedies, comedies horror, all that stuff. Yep. We and we how, uh, we shit on anything that is uh, where the surface is is that much paid attention to. Genre. Yeah. Yeah, where it draws attention to this. Yeah, exactly. Where it draws attention to like the drama or the trope. And the interesting thing is like when it comes to genre, like in, in horror, for example, uh, you know, Godzilla minus one, like that, that was a genre film about a giant monster catastrophe that was largely about a, a man's suffering survivor's guilt. And that's what I think Godzilla really represented was, is this the intense guilt of feeling like I let my country down. Godzilla is a post-war Japanese domestic drama wrapped in a monster mm-hmm. movie. Yep. It is, if you've seen Kurosawa's Dodeskadan, which is them people living almost in poverty in post-war Japan mm-hmm. and having to survive, but wrapped in a Godzilla movie, that's what this movie is. And I think that's why it resonates because you care about those characters. Yeah, does it signpost some of the events when he's in the plane and you know what's going to happen later on yeah. or uh, or other events or and it has a happy ending you don't care it mm-hmm. took you on the journey you went on that journey and that's great and there it says something that not that we care about the academy awards but those films that are seen as important are have never been a comedy or have never really mm-hmm. been a genre piece right they'll get best screenplay or they'll get best special mm-hmm. effects yeah. um, or, or best supporting actor, actress, but they don't win. It's only the more important films. I won't name those films, that, but that have won the Academy Awards are the ones that only seem to deep dive because that's the reaction. Oh, well, it's going deep. It must be an important film. It must require yeah. uh, more heavy lifting on the, t- on the part of the filmmaker to make that film. I would challenge anyone to to make the general yeah, right yeah. and uh you know and, or make a genre film like you know fury road yeah. or make a a great comedy and say that that is yeah. any easier than making mm-hmm. oppenheimer yeah and it, by easier it's not just it's not just uh that it's you know difficult to get a crew together and pull off all these effects it's difficult to plan out the shots that are psychologically affecting yes. the audience right. that draw them into that world that is the hardest right. thing to do with film speechifying about your metaphors is write an essay, write a poem, but to to cinematically engage the audience and draw them in and make them feel it to the point where the the allegories actually resonate. Allegories don't resonate when you just tell them to people, they resonate when they're, they live in the unconscious and the conscious layer is the, the dramatic questions, the, the will these characters achieve these things. That's what gets us to emotionally invest. Now I do want to wrap up Uh, Adam. uh, 
uh, Adam and Ramesh, Ramesh, I want to give you the final word because this is your uh, theory that you presented, but I'd like Adam for you to comment and then Ramesh can, can close out. Uh, okay. So my, okay. the, the thing I wanted to say is when I was young, I was in uh, Taekwondo and uh, my uh, Taekwondo instructor would told us this thing about like absorbing a punch. And this, the thing he would tell us was uh, when a hunter uh, is hunting a deer with a bow and arrow, the reason it, they're camouflaging themselves isn't just because the deer will run away, but if the deer is aware of the hunter, it'll tense up all of its muscles and the arrow won't penetrate anything but the, the first layer of the skin. And I think that similarly in terms of theme, I think if the audience is aware of the theme, just like the deer, it will tense up and put up all the blockings to that theme and not allow it in. But if it is being, if that surface is playing with it in a way that the audience gets absorbed into the, into that surface, it will loosen up and let the theme in much deeper than, than it pot, than, than being aware of it. Yeah. That's what I would say. That's brilliant. I love that. Ramesh. Yeah. I, I want to back up and say I'm not discounting Oppenheimer. I bring that up because that's the movie that'll probably win, but we give it so much weight. And whereas something, a perfect example, Barbie, whether it worked for you or not, and this is all of this, does it work for you or not? Mm-hmm. That's a perfect example of a film that's working on a, on a surface level and then deeper. The only difference is that movie does not try to conceal the deepness that it's diving. It actually wears it like a dress, <laughs> you know, it like a wardrobe. It really, it wears it proudly. Mm. Um, so what we're talking about is not only whether it's intention or unintentional, but you get drawn into that film. You have fun time with that film and the films I feel that do try to then give you that weight it's like it stops. It goes, er, this is our important moment in this film. We're going to stop everything, tell you why it's important. And then we'll, you know, and then we'll back to our usual programming. Right. Yeah. And that's for me, that's what that film did. Whereas the best films I feel are the ones that cross both those surfaces have draws you in. It's fun and exciting. You want to talk about it after you see the movie. And then as you're talking about it, the best films, you go, you're right. I, I didn't see that part of it, or I saw this thing. I read this into it. I want to tell you about it. I, I so much want to just share my experience with you. And I think that's what it is. It's about a movie that affects us so much that we want to share it with others. And that is what love of cinema is all about. Well, goodbye. And thanks again for everything. Oh, it was my pleasure. All right, well, let's let's close it out. That was such a good discussion. I can't wait to go and edit this because that's when I, I feel like I really internalize what you guys are saying because I, I got to track down all the clips and uh, looking at the films and the stuff. I, that's when I feel like it really lands for me. Well, thanks so much for this conversation. I, I learned a ton. I know the audience is going to appreciate it and enjoy it too. So be sure to check out my book, Story by Numbers. It's available at cinematicore.com and be sure to sign up and subscribe for all the other videos and diagrams and swag that we put out. Uh, Thanks for watching and have a great week.
You've got a story inside you. A screenplay no one has ever thought of. A novel you've been rolling around inside your coconut for years. Maybe you wrote a few pages and stalled out. Maybe you even wrote a whole draft but don't feel confident it's any good. Or maybe you've been writing draft after draft after draft and slamming into writer's blocks or dead ends or wandering into the weeds. Maybe you just have a few scenes centered around some dope high concept but you don't know how to develop a character much less construct a plot that would generate a character arc. Maybe all you have is some simmering spark of an idea. Just a simple desire to write a story. This book is for you. Story by Numbers is a step-by-step -step process. It gives you the tools to construct a plot that fleshes out your story with characters so real, so compelling, so multidimensional, you begin to wonder if you're possessed. Story by Numbers is composed of three parts. Part 1 gives you an overview of the 4-act structure, 24 plot points, 8 sequences. Part 2 is a 35-question examination of your story that will guide you through developing and outlining your novel or screenplay into the 4-act template. Part 3, well, that's just next-level dope shit. This isn't just another book on theory. Story by Numbers is a diagnostic toolkit for developing and fine-tuning your story. You'll also want to pick up the Story by Numbers workbook. For each story you're writing, you'll need a journal to organize your ideas. The Story by Numbers workbook is a companion notebook that walks you through the process as you outline your story and guide you through each phase of development. From constructing your protagonist's internal drive, to plotting conflicts that expose character, to composing scenes that drive compelling stories. By the time you've completed your Story by Number workbook, you'll be ready to finish your manuscript. Whenever you ask a writer what it takes to write a good story, they usually say there are no rules. If you want to know what they really think, ask them about a novel or movie they hate. Immediately, they'll unload a litany of do's and don'ts so specific, so precise, you'd think they're citing commandments. We all know following a formula is what turns stories into zombified, hacky imitations of better stories. You don't want a formula. You want a process. A method composed of practical principles that breathe life into your concept. You don't want some bullshit magical key. You just want to know what works and what doesn't. Does your story resonate or not? Everyone knows there are no rules for writing a great story. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, here are the rules. Story by numbers. Write more. Better. Faster. Doper.